You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, because your love is strong. Love Our, our love, Lord, can sometimes be weak, sometimes be conditional sometimes dear Lord struggling but Lord your love is strong in fact the Bible says that God is love and we praise you and we give you glory for that and we thank you dear Lord that we did not love you but you first loved us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And so, Lord, we praise you. We give you all the glory and honor. And, Lord, we ask you right now as we begin to go to your word that, Lord, you would continue to speak to our hearts. Do what only you can do today. And and all the glory belongs to you, Lord. And we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said... Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Job chapter 1. We're going for a period of time to move away from the chronological Bible outline. We're going to be going for a time through the book of Job. And uh, I'm excited about it. I hope that you will be too. So we're in Job chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. And all, let's go ahead and stand up in honor of God's word today. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the land of us, there lived a man whose name was, let's say it together, Job. This man was blameless. Now that word there means whole, it means complete. It means that Job was righteous in every area of his life. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that he's sinless, but it does mean that he's blameless and he's transparent. He's who he is. Now, the Bible says here that he was blameless and he was upright. In the Hebrew, that means a straight path. He is a straight-talking, straight individual. His path is straight and it's even. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 of donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people in the east. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. This was a family that was together. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified early in the morning. He would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Now, modern day, we would say this was a man that he prayed every day for his children, for his family. Now, one day, verse 6, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. Let's just say boo real loud. Boo. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. (laughs) Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. 
the Lord said to Satan, Very well then. Everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came Set the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to, to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Job, your sons and daughters were feasting, drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a mighty wind swept in, in, in from the desert. And the four corners of the house fell. Job, it collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up. He tore his robes. He shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in what? In worship. That's what we'll do in heaven. No preaching, no prayers. Worship. And he fell to the ground in worship and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, and we pray now, dear Lord, that you will, through the power of your Holy Spirit, cleanse, anoint your messenger of any thought, any deed, any idle word. Let me be a vessel that you can use and illuminate the hearts of people so they hear. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I've titled this message today as we begin this introduction and some observations on Job. I've titled it, A So That Life. A S-O, So That, T-H-A-T, Life. I was told that my grandfather never had a headache. I can't remember if it was my dad's dad or my mom's dad But the story was told that my grandfather, he never had a headache in his entire life. He never knew what a headache was. Isn't that interesting? And sometimes family members and other people would try to explain to him what a headache was. And no matter how hard they tried to explain to him what a headache was, he didn't understand. They would try to say, well, you know, and then they would give all kinds of explanations. And he, he would sit there looking at them somewhat dumbfounded because he just could not grasp this idea of your head actually hurting. Imagine trying to explain to him a migraine. How many of you have ever had a migraine? You know... As we begin this study in Job, I wrote to myself, for some of you in this room, life's been good. You grew up in basically a good home, not a perfect home, but a good home. Your marriage is in good shape. For the most part, you're healthy and your family is healthy. 
Uh, your finances are in order. You have model kids who seldom ever give you any problems. And in reality, if you were honest and you were so blatantly honest, you'd say, and there's really no big sins in my life, just little bitty small sins, little blemishes, small warts, little blisters, not skeletons, just little bitty things, not cancerous scars, but just small little things that I'm struggling with. They're hardly even mentionable. And for you, Job will be hard. You, you, you may kind of, you're a cliche kind of counselor. You look at people when they're going through hard times and you say, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So my comments to you may be a little uncomfortable and at times maybe even gut-wrenching. And to be honest with you, some in this room, you will not like some of the preaching as we go through Job. For years I've studied Job. I've read through Job many times. I've often felt like Job as a pastor. And, and often I'll listen to Job. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put my Bible, I'm at the phone in my front pocket and I'll hit the Bible app and I'll listen to the book of Job and somehow it brings me comfort. I, I don't feel alone in my suffering. It's, it's different. Right now, if you're going through the chronological Bible, you're in Job. Look at Job chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, because let, let's, let's real quickly say the climax. Let's, let's just, let's see the climax right now. In Job chapter, chapter 9, beginning at verse 32, Job will finally say to his friends who are poor counselors, he'll finally say to them, He's talking about God here. He said, God is not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in a court of law. If only, listen to this, Molly, this is so good for a legal law student. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to mediate between us, to lay his hand upon both of us, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would not frighten me no more, then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it stands with me now, I cannot. Jesus never quotes Job. Isn't that strange? The only quotes that we have of Job is Ezekiel and the book of James. I believe Jesus did quote Job because I believe when he was on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, I believe that he brought up this passage right here and he talked to these men because the Bible said he walked them through this scripture and showed them how he must needs come, suffer, be crucified and resurrected. So I would think that Jesus brought up Job chapter 9 verses 32 through 35. This is the story of a good man a righteous man who suffers. And he gets angry at God and he battles with the character of God. I said to Southern Electric, which is a company I do a devotion every Monday morning, I said, what do we do when in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of life, we become angry at God? Have you ever been mad at God? You ever been upset with God? Have you ever said to God, God, I'm trying to live right. I'm doing my CBT reading every day. God, I'm praying like I've never prayed before. God, I go to church and I carry my family to church. God, I've even tried to witness to some of the people around me. God, I'm serving you in a position at the church. God, I'm trying to live right. Number two, and God, you're omnipotent, which means you're all-powerful. You could stop this if you would, and why don't you? For some of you in this room, I'm not talking to all of you because life's good to some of you. Some of you listening on the website, life's good, you don't understand. You will. If you don't understand, you will. But let me give you something to hang your hat on. For some of you in this room, listen to me closely. Anger is still faith. Anger at God is still an expression of faith. 
Even though Job gets angry and upset with God and even questions God, it is still an act of faith. In other words, let me say this. And adults, listen, put your spiritual antennas up real high because we've got to say something without the kids figuring it out. I do not get mad at Santa Claus. Every adult nod your head if you know what I'm saying. I do not get mad at the Easter Bunny. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, the baskets were left down at the foot of the bed, big nice baskets, and I would get up, first thing I'd do is lean down there, and I would scream to my brother and my sisters, the Easter Bunny has come. I don't get mad at the Easter Bunny. I don't get mad at Santa Claus because he didn't bring me what I wanted. Why? You know. But I get mad at God sometimes. I become frustrated with God. I become angry with God. Sometimes I don't understand God. But let me tell you something. That anger is an expression of faith because I do not get mad at what I do not exist, what does not exist. And this is Job. If you look at Job chapter 1, verse 11, the latter part of verse 11, this is Satan's agenda. When you and I are going through difficulty, when we're suffering, when life's not making sense, when we feel like we've been dealt a bad hand, of no fault of our own, when our suffering does not make sense, What's Satan trying to do? What's this enemy of mankind trying to do? Well, look at verse 11 of chapter 1. Satan says to God, he says, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Wow. Look at chapter 2, verse 5b. We'll just, latter part of chapter 2, verse 5, he says it again. Satan says, skin for skin, Satan replied. In other words, he says, Job will do anything to save his life. Oh yeah, you, you, you took down the hedge. Oh yeah, you took all his possessions. Oh yes, you took his children away. But let me tell you something. He'll do anything to save his skin, skin for skin. Wow. But in verse 5, chapter 2, but stretch out. Here you can just hear the gravelly voice of our enemy, the devil, as he says to, to God, the, here you have the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies. He's speaking his language here. He's trying to turn God against man and man against God. He says, stretch out your hand. God, stretch out your hand. Strike his flesh. Tack his bones. And surely he will curse you. To your face. You ever known anybody that cursed God? When I was in college, my freshman year, my parents took and helped me move into this college dorm. There was a sharp looking guy who pulled up with his parents, but when he got out of the car, this is the way he walked. He just walked like that. He was dragging one leg, his, his body was kind of distorted and like that. He was my roommate. One day we were laying there in bed at night. He in one bed, I in the other, dark. Light of, the room, uh, light of a street light coming in through the slits of, that, of those blinds. And I said, Mike, what happened? He said, man... He said, to be honest with you, he said, I, I, I was, me and a buddy of mine, we were going to see our girlfriends. I went to my girlfriend's house and she broke up with me and I was so angry. Now this guy was a senior in high school, all American, top honors, top student, top athlete. He said, the girl I was dating, she broke up with me. He said, I got so angry that when I got in the car, he said, we were just going down an old, lonely, flat delta road. And he said, we just began to go as fast as we could go because we didn't care anymore. Life had no meaning anymore. And he said, I was so angry. 
And he said, my friend wanted to drive, so I finally let him drive. And he said, we were probably doing over 100 miles an hour on this flat delta road. We were making our way down this road when all of a sudden my friend put his foot down because we were coming into a T-junction. And he screamed and he said, Mike, we have no brakes. And he said, that brake pedal went right to the floor. And he said, we were going over 100 miles an hour. We could no way make that turn. And he said, I climbed over into the back seat. He said, I put my head down between my legs. I wrapped myself in a fetal position down in the floorboard of the back seat because he was going to try to make the turn at an unbelievable speed and we knew that we would flip. He said, boy, did we flip. He said, we rolled over and over and over and over and over again. He said, my friend was thrown from the car. My friend was busted up. He said, he was all broke up. He said, but one stop, one little stop punctured the ceiling on one of those rolls and cut me about two inches into my skull. And he said, and I stayed in a coma for nine weeks, absolutely, totally in a coma, out of it. And he said, when I woke up, he said, I was like this. And I said, well, Mike, I began to try to witness to him and talk to him. He said, I don't want to hear it. Dark college dorm room. I don't want to hear it. I said, Mike, Christ can save you. Christ can bring meaning to your life. He said, I don't want to hear it. He said, because you don't understand. He said, because one night, me, I'd lost everything. I had nothing to live for. He said, I stood out under a starlit night and I lifted my fist toward the heavens and I cursed God with everything that was in me. When I was pastoring in Natchez, he called me one day. He had been drinking, and his life was still in ruins. What does Satan want? Satan is a, his objective is to turn God against man and man against God. So real quickly, there's three things here, and I'll move quickly. Three points I want you to ponder today. Number one, write this down. Remember this, God is omnipotent. Throughout the book of Job, God is omnipotent. God is always in control of Job's life. And listen to me, God is in control of your life no matter what you're going through. If you are a child of God, if you're a Christian... No matter your health, no matter your finances, no matter your marriage, no matter your children, no matter what you may be going through, God is still in control. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But according to Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, our enemy Satan goes about like a roaring lion. Have you noticed when we read here that Satan is not a loose cannon? Isn't that great? Isn't it great that Satan has to come before God and give an account of where he's been, what he's been doing? And you may say, well, that's strange. Why did God ask Satan? I thought God was omniscient. He knew everything. You better believe he knew everything. You know what he was doing? He was like a loving parent. Get in here, boy, and tell me what you were doing tonight. When a parent knows good and well what he was doing or what she was doing. God is reminding Satan that he is not a loose cannon, that he may go about like a roaring lion, masquerading as an angel of light. But he, as Steve Taylor said, pastor of a church over in Kansas, he said, but he is on God's chain. Isn't that great? Now let me give you a problem here. Here's the problem of Job. And I wrote this down. Imagine that you're walking one day and you come to a friend, a dear friend, and as they approach you with their dog who is on a chain, they allow the dog, their dog, to bite you. Now I want you to stay with me. This is important. You meet this friend, dear friend, close friend. What are your best friends? And as you approach one another, this individual just gives slack in the, in the chain of the dog and allows the dog to bite you. But you get angry. You've got a big wound. You say, man, I've got to go to the MEA. I've still got to catch a plane. I mean, man, this is the last thing I needed this morning. Couldn't you control your dog? So you go home, pin the dog up. 
or that your friend does. You go to the MEA clinic and there's a line stretching out the door and you're waiting there with your bad leg and you've got this big dog bite on you and you're looking at the time and finally you call your wife and you say, listen, I'm not going to make that plane. There's no way. And so here you go in, you stand in line, you get in the MEA clinic, you get the thing dressed, you get it cleaned up, dressed and taken care of, you get shots, you go home, you've missed your plane. Later on, you call your friend that evening and say, did you see the news? What? Did you see the news? I want to thank you for allowing the dog to bite me. Because the dog bit me and I ended up at MEA and I couldn't make my plane in time. I don't know if you realized it or not, but the plane that just crashed was the plane that I would have been on. True story. Man was with his family getting ready to cross a bridge. His child had to go to the bathroom. They had just gone to the bathroom, just left the restaurant. He had already been one. What do you mean you got to go again, son? My goodness, son, you mean you got to go to the bathroom again? So he pulls into this station right before he's crossing the bridge. True story. The child goes in to go to the bathroom. The man is sitting in the car fuming, and all of a sudden he watches that bridge collapse and people die going to their death. Sometimes God interrupts our lives with suffering and pain, but let me tell you something. God is always in control. Never forget it. He's omnipotent. He has a plan and a purpose. That's what Joseph said to his brothers. When his brothers were looking at him and, you know, they hated him. And he said, well, God allowed all that happen because God was doing something that you weren't aware of. Let me give you, let me give you a weird verse. Go over to, go over to chapter 42, verse 7, because you need to see this. Now, in, in Job chapter 42, this is what Job says, because God kind of corners Job. He kind of straightens him out a little bit. You know what Job says? Everybody look this way. Just stop. Just look this way. Job said, God, blameless, upright, feared God, shunned evil. God's bragging on him to the devil in heaven. You know what this man says? He says, God, I had heard of thee by the hearing of my ear. But now my eye has seen thee, and I abhor, I repent and abhor myself in dust and ashes. God, I just thought I had a relationship with you, but I really didn't, but I do now. You see, the problem with suffering sometimes, Ravi Zacharias said this, he said, suffering, pain, listen to this, is a process. I told our worship leader one time, I said, one of the things that I've learned about worship is this. When I'm hurting, when I'm suffering, these are not just mindless uh, reciting of lyrics that I'm, these are, these are words that I'm hanging on and I'm, and I'm saying, his love is strong. Oh God, I hope it's strong. I, I wrote these words down. You are good. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never let me down. I, hey, it may not mean nothing to you, but when you're in the midst of suffering and pain, those words just blow up in your face. It's like the Holy Spirit just wraps them around you. And it's as if God, the bride of Christ, is next to you saying, listen, I'll never let you down. I know you're hurting. I know this is painful. This is a process. I'm bringing you through, but I'm teaching you. And I'm going to hang on to you. This past week, Wednesday, Sheila and I, I'd gone to Yazoo City to sign some forms. I came back. I wasn't feeling that great, a little down. And I went to eat with Sheila. And while I was eating with Sheila, Ledge called. I knew that something was wrong by the sound of his voice. And he said, Dad, I need you to come to the house he said, I think my dog, Naya, killed our puppy. I was probably doing 80. You may say, well, it was just a dog. No, it had become part of the family. And when I got there, Ledge was there looking at a little box. Janice McBride is smiling because Janice knows what it feels like to lose an animal that you love. Emily knows what it 
is like to lose an animal that you love. Some of you in this room, you understand that. And I watched this big guy turn into a little boy and just weep and cry. We carried to the vet. We did everything possible. But the puppy was gone. And we dug a grave. And those boys and that family came out, Lisa and all of them, they just wept and cried. And I cried with them. Because I want to tell you something. I know what it is to lose something that you love. I know what it is to lose an animal, a dog, that is like part of the family. You see, sometimes you and I, we don't, listen, we, we want to be in positions of leadership. We want to be in positions of ministry. We want God to use us. But let me tell you something, what God does when he gets ready to use you. He allows you to go through some of the suffering and the pain that the people that you're leading are going through. So that you sense their heart. And then sometimes he'll even take you to his heart. And he'll allow you to go through the pain and the suffering that he goes through in order to love us. You see, Job is a, is a process. And pain is a process. Ravi Zacharias said pain is a process that often is leading us, listen to this, to ask the right questions. Because see, when we're suffering a lot of times and we feel like we're living a good life, we often will say to God, God, you're omnipotent, you're powerful, so God, why don't you get me out of this situation? You know what I did? I haven't said this to Legend Alicia. I haven't said this to the boys. But there came that moment when Ledge went back into that house. And I got down on my knees in tears. I put my hand down there on that box and I asked God to raise that puppy up. I said, God, you're a great God. You're an omnipotent, all-powerful God. I know, God, there are people that are suffering, people that are losing children, people that are in the midst of cancer and all kinds of heartache. But God, if it could be possible, could you raise this puppy up? Oh, God, to hear the scratch of that box, to open that box and to run in the house and say he's alive. Didn't happen. Why? Because the dad had to look at his three sons in that moment and say, sons, one day we will all be here. That empty, that grave. And sons, the most important thing in all the world is to give your life to Jesus Christ and to serve him. And then he looked at his boys and he said, and sons, let me remind you of one more thing. The Bible says that not even a sparrow falls to the ground, that the creator of the universe stands up and says, what is that? And Jeffrey, you were right in that song. They're, the birds are never off key, never a sour note. This is Job. Struggle of Christianity. Why did the righteous suffer? And I know some of you in this room right now. I've watched you. You've gone through loss. You've gone through difficulty. Maybe you grew up in a difficult home. Maybe it was an abusive home. Maybe you were neglected. Maybe you were fatherless right now. Or you're motherless right now. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's an inner struggle. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's a battle with pornography. What Whatever it is, you may feel like I, about the time I take two steps forward, I feel like I'm kicked back three. God says, I know I'm sovereign. I know you're lost. I told Ledge, one day when you get to heaven, Jesus might say, you and Alicia, come here. I want to tell you what I was doing to that sweet little puppy. You see, secondly, we want, a book, we want a book cover life, don't we? You know what I mean by book cover life? You ever see those families that they send you the picture of them in denim on the, on the beach of Destin? Doesn't that just irritate the snot out of you? Please don't send. If you're listening to me by website, please don't send me those cards. They're annoying. They're dressed in denim. All the families dressed alike. Uh, they're, they're laying out on the Destin beach and they're so happy. Or the book cover, the guy that's trying, or the woman who's trying to, or the TV ministry that's trying to straighten out your life and make sense out of your life. On their book cover, they got a picture of all of them leaning up against the split-railed fence. And they all are healthy and happy. And they've got good jobs, good homes, good family. They're, they're looking forward to retirement. 
You see, we want to book cover life, don't we? We don't want no trauma. We don't want no heartache. We don't want no pain. We don't want no suffering. But then you're playing with your grandkids down at the creek and you fall backwards and all of a sudden your shoulder's out of joint. And then the doctor wrestles your shoulder into joint, does probably more damage, and then you have another doctor that says, you're never going to get well. We're going to have to put a whole new shoulder in you. Your shoulder is wore out. And then on the same side, you get shingles and your headache aches. You got a six-week headache, and then you look like a, you look like Worf on Star Trek, and you feel like him or Mikhail Gorbachev. And then God does something because in the suffering, we start living the what I call the so that life. See, some of you, you're 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 a you're, you're, there's nothing, you, don't, you evidence nothing spiritual. This is just a boring. You just, you just came, you came late, you really don't care. Hurry up and get it over with until all of a sudden loss comes into your life. Deep suffering and it's coming. Why? Because if you're a Christian in the world, you're going to have tribulation. It's coming. But look at 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, because this is the so that life, the S-O that life. Watch what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, praise, it's right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? Of compassion. You don't know how to be compassionate until you get kicked around by the world. Till you start suffering. Ethan and Caitlin were looking at me and crying. They just, just absolutely were killing their, their, their grandpa. And then I told them the story of when my mom backed over my puppy and I lost my dog. You see, the father of compassion, the God of all what? Comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Do you see the next two words there? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. Uh, uh, Jeffrey, you know the book Ron Dunn? I don't know if you've read it yet or looking at it. But Ron Dunn was kind of a legend. And I went to Bellevue Baptist Church and... Um, to hear uh, one, Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers, uh, it's a 75-seat auditorium. So uh, Ron Dunn is this legend in many ways, a godly, very, very humble man. And this is, this, Ron Dunn, I think if I remember, had lost one child, had had a difficult, uh, difficult family situation, and now was battling cancer, was going through therapy, and was not far from the grave. And this is how he spoke to 7,500 pre pre preachers packed into, into Bellevue. And I watched Charles Stanley and Adrian Rogers sitting on the front edge of their seat, hanging on every word as he was whispering it at times. Wow. Why? Because suffering seems to do something to it, doesn't it? It does something to us. After that, I had a little New Testament. I carried it up there to Charles Stanley because Charles Stanley, after he preached, I ran up there to speak to him and talk with him. And I handed him a New Testament. And I said, Charles Stanley, I said, Charles, I said, my dad is going through, I said, my dad's in a difficult marriage. Time, life is hard. My dad's got a special needs son. I said, my dad has a lot of stress. And I just wanted you to sign this Bible because he thinks so much of you. And Charles Stanley wrote in there a personal note to my dad and then put Colossians 3, 1 through 4, which talks about thinking about good things, holy things, focusing on that. Why? Because let me tell you something. Charles Stanley understood what it was to have a difficult marriage. And ultimately, he's divorced today. And God's still using him. When I was working on my DME and working on my doctorate, they flew in a high muckety-muck. 
I mean one of the big wigs in the Presbyterian church. He had come to talk to us about building a great church, a mega church. And buddy, we literally, we hung on every word he said. He taught us in a doctoral seminar seven and a half hours every single day. I mean literally, if he took a break, if he went to the bathroom, we went with him. He had built one of the greatest Presbyterian churches in the country. Last session after lunch, the last day, all of a sudden, this is what he did again, the same thing. He pulled a stool up in front of us sitting there, all these doctoral students. He sat down on that stool, and then he did this. One of the most powerful Presbyterian preachers in the country, if not the world. And he put his head down like this. And all of a sudden, we were wondering what he was doing. And all of a sudden, we looked, and tears were just flowing down his cheeks, just dropping off his cheeks. He sat there for the longest. He just wept. And then Reggie finally looked up, and he looked at us, and he said these words. He said, I built a megachurch. I built a ministry, but I built it on the life of my daughter. And I've lost her. And he looked at us young preachers that were hanging on every word, wanting to go out and build a great church, great ministry. He said, never build a ministry and lose your children in the process. Wow. Man. Why? Because sometimes it's only in suffering that we really grasp and understand how it is to reach hurting people. Life is hard, yes, but God is good. Gene Anderson pastored First Baptist Brandon for 20 years, including a year of, of uh, interim. One day I went to Gene's home. He was going through a lot of difficulty. And there's a picture, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you ever seen this picture of a man coming into heaven and he's collapsed? You ever seen this picture? And Jesus, he's collapsed and Jesus is holding him. That's me. When I die, and many of you will one day bury me, when I die, never forget that. That's how I want to get into heaven. That's how I'm going to go into heaven. I'm going to collapse in his arms. And I gave that picture to Gene, and Dorothy hung it right there by the door so that Gene Anderson would see it. The problem you'll find as we exegete through the passage of Job is you'll find that a lot of times what happens to some of us and why we're poor counselors is we forgot our own sin. We forgot our own suffering. We forgot our own failures. What I love, what I love about Sandy, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Sandy every once in a while, you've heard me say this, I've known Sandy longer than Doug. I knew Sandy from the moment I met Sheila. So I've known her 40 years. And for the first two or three times, Sandy would look at me, she would look like she was about to cry, and she would say, she would apologize, and she would say, I'm not the same person I was 40 years ago. Well, that went without saying, and I know that. Sheila's an excellent counselor because Sheila never forgot her own failures and shortcomings. Me, your pastor, I may not build a great church, but I guarantee one thing, you can go to some of the greatest churches in this state and ask who one of the best counselors are, and they'll probably tell you your pastor. Why? Because I never forgot my own sins and failures. Some preachers are harsh. You know, sometimes I look at Sheila and say, Sheila, did I sound harsh? Because I don't want to sound harsh. But some preachers are harsh, and they tend to attract people that are harsh. I may be strong in my convictions. I may be passionate. But, oh, God, never let me be unkind with people. I was eating a meal with a friend, with a, another individual, when all of a sudden a name came up of a young lady. And I felt in that moment I was defending her. And I looked at this individual and I said, her dad abandoned her. Her next door neighbor molested her. And her mom was bitter. What should we expect? You see, the homeless teach you something about life. They teach you about the disparity of life, the unfairness of life. Sean, a gang member. An individual that was on his way one day came to the door. I don't know if it was Stephanie. I can't remember who it was. But they were frightened by the figure at the door. 
And the call came to me, Brother Jeff, there's a man at the door and I think you better talk to him. I came to the door and there was a volatile, angry man standing at that door. And I brought him in here and I sat, we sat right there. And as I listened to his story, he was on his way to kill four people. One of the four was himself. And I shared Christ with him. And there came a point where that man, hardened by the inner city and by the streets and by the gang world, JPD calls him Super Vice Lord, all of a sudden begin to weep and to cry and watch God begin to work in his life. And you may say, well, where is he today? Well, it's the world that he's trying to come out of. And until you've been in the gang world, until you've been in the inner city, until you understand the dynamics of the hood, how dare you pass judgment on him? You forgot your own sin. Oh, your little tiny sin. Which brings me to the third point quickly. Sometimes churches and sometimes we Christians, we want stages. We don't want sanctuaries. We want stage. We want a performance. We don't want sanctuaries. We like a, a homogenous congregation. What does homogenous mean? It means that we're all just alike, perfect people. We want a perfect people leading us and preaching to us. We want perfect pe- people sitting next to us. That's why we rip churches out of communities. What's happened to the inner city? It's not Washington. It's not Barack Obama. It's not Donald Trump's fault. No politician can fix the inner city. God's people, the church, have turned their back on the inner city. That's why we're in the mess that we're in. We rip churches out of the communities and out of the inner city, and then, we, and then every once in a while, the suburban church comes back to appease their conscience by serving an afternoon. But then we see Job, and we see Paul, and we scratch our head, And all of a sudden, suffering begins to make sense. There's purpose. Silas, my little grandson, his favorite words for the longest was, I'm stuck. I would grab him and hold him. He'd say, I'm stuck. Sometimes the only way that God can unstick us is by the pains of suffering so that we begin to grow again. We begin to ask the right questions again. We begin to be better counselors. Let's stand. I love this. it's, It's called when God breaks a man. Listen to this. Listen to this. Everyone listen to this. Because the Arthur is unknown, but I believe we'll see him in heaven or her. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should be amazed, watch his method, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into shapes and forms of clay which only God can understand. While man's tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, yet God bends but never breaks when man's good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and with mighty power infuses him. With every act induces him to try his splendor out. Oh, God knows what he is about. You're suffering and you're hurting and you thank God why. When will it end? You are good. You are good. And you're never, you're never going to let me down. Pain is a process. Pain is beating some things out of us that need to come out of us. Sometimes pain, sometimes your goodness, sometimes your walk with the Lord, remember, attracts the enemy. He can't stand it. But you've got a sovereign God. Pain is a process that leads you to the right questions.
He's a great God. And you can trust Him always. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. And Lord, we thank you for this great book, the book of Job. Wow, what a, what a powerful book. And the Bible says that, Lord, there are times in our life when we are uncomfortable, when we're going through pain, when we're going through difficulty, when we're suffering, when we're hurting, when we lose something or someone that we love, and we're battling through that. And yet, God, you're still doing something. You're still sovereign. You're still in control. You know at birth whether a child will get cancer and die. You know at marriage whether a spouse will die in a car accident. You know in our finances whether we'll be on top of the world or whether we'll go bankrupt. You know that six months after retirement, we come down with pancreatic cancer and we're fighting for our life. You know the difficulties and the trials and the pains and the sufferings that sometimes your saints have to weather in storms. They have to go through. But God, you're good. You'll never let us down. You're always in control. And we can trust you. And our Lord, I pray today that if there's someone here that is listening, I know a family that lost a, I know a man who listens every week. He lost his brother last year in an accident. I watched him wrestle through that, spoke with him, counseled with him. I watched him with a sick child in university. Then I watched him go through the difficulty of losing his brother, a brother who was married and had four kids. But God's still sovereign. God's still in control. For parents that may be sitting here and grown children have wore them out. Maybe they're sitting here and they're just battling with a teenager. God's still sovereign. He's still in control. Maybe there's some here that are battling with finances and they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. God's still sovereign. God's still in control. God, may we just trust you. But the only way to trust you is by first giving our heart and giving our life to you. And God, we pray, dear Lord, if there's one here that does not know you, that even as Ledge and Reggie are here at the front, ladies that are nearby here, Emily and Tamara and Sheila, some of these ladies that Whatever decision that needs to be made, if there's a decision today to give someone's life to Christ, may they come today and say, I want to be saved. I want to be, I want to be a Christian. So that when I go through my difficulties, I have somebody walking with me. Jesus Christ. And so Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.